Good morning, everybody. I am so glad you're with me. I know you were trying to be earlier on, but thank you so much for your encouragement. Okay, this is a freebie day, and so you might be asking a question, well, what is that? It means I'm free to speak on anything I choose. So I choose Jeremiah chapter 1 today. And um, you might ask, why Jeremiah? There's nothing mystical at all about that. I, it just happened to be part of my reading during the summer, and I, I just picked up some material from a Christian writer called uh, Dale Ralph Davis, and it really struck me some of the things he said, so I'm trying to pick up on some of that. And certain aspects really caught my attention, and my friends, all Scripture is God-breathed. Jeremiah chapter 1. Let's turn to it, shall we? The words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon, king of Judah, and through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of Zedekiah, son of Josiah, king of Judah when the people of Jerusalem went into exile. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I I do not know how to speak. I, I am only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to. And say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Now, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. The Lord said to me, You have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, From the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, in worshipping what their hands have made. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I command you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests and the people of the land. They will fight against you, 
but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Well, first of all, I want to set the scene to be really just to try and be helpful for you, because I know that there's, there's a historical essence going on here. And um, at this time in the nation's history, it's in two parts. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. That's what happened. The, as Stuart said last week, the nation of Israel reached its peak. I mean, it reached its zenith during Solomon's time. I mean, it was the best of the best. All nations came to it. But after Solomon died, his son Rehoboam picked it up and then there was a split. And so the split was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. You're still with me. Northern kingdom's Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah. Judah was made up of Judah and Benjamin. Those are your two nations that now have come out of one. Now, at this point in time, the northern kingdom, Israel, is in captivity. It's in occupied territory. It's occupied by the Assyrians. It has been for some while. This happened because they no longer wanted to be God's people. So God gave them what they want. If you don't want to be my people, fine. Then in that case, you'll become somebody else's people. And they did. That's why the Assyrians took them over. Now, Judah, and this is now we're 135 years after Israel has been occupied. Judah no longer wants to become God's people. That's the problem. They want to become someone else's people. This is where it's going. And, uh, and they will do. And this will, they'll be overrun by, by the Babylonians. So that, that's basically the context in which we find ourselves. And so into this, Jeremiah comes. All right, helpful? With me? Okay, this is where, so this is where we are. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. His sadness for the people is because he knows what's coming. He just knows what's coming. And also he knows this, that they are not going to take a blind bit of notice of what he says. And he has a tough message. It's not triumphalist by any means. He's in a lonely spot. He is not married. God has told him not to marry. He has no children. He has no immediate family. He has no immediate support. He has friends who will become no longer his friends. Jeremiah is the candidate that no one is going to vote for. And if you're going to do an opinion poll of Jeremiah, he's going to be zero. That's him. So what is this all about? Well, what is going on? Well, there's a recurring phrase. And if you've got your Bibles open, you'll see it, but it... It's recurring in verse 2 and verse 4 and verse 11 and verse 13. And you get this recurring phrase. I'll pick this up in a moment, but the recurring phrase is the Word of God. The Word of God. We mustn't miss that because we may think that Jeremiah is center stage, but he isn't. It's the Word of God that is the center stage. Philip Yancey, a couple of you, a few of you heard me do this, but he describes a visit to Yellowstone National Park. And the people who come, all the tourists come to see 
this uh, famous geezer known as Old Faithful. I mean, it's just wonderful to see. And, and, and the tourists are there, and he notices all the tourists are there, and the cameras are trained on this hole in the ground, waiting for Old Faithful to erupt. Absolutely. And then right beside Old Faithful is a large digital clock, and it predicts when the next eruption is going to arise. Every 24 minutes. And on the last minute, you get this countdown. And when you get the countdown, people get out of their dining room seats and they're off to the windows or wherever they can get the best vantage point with their cameras trained on the hole in the ground. Yancey notices that there's an instant movement by the waiters and the cleaners. And as these people leave, they're in. And they're cleaning the tables and sorting out the table, getting rid of all the debris and all the rest of it. And whoosh, Old Faithful goes up. Click, 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 cameras going, great applause. I mean, it's just wonderful. And he notices not one waiter, not one of those cleaning tables ever turned. Not one. Old familiar had, old faithful had grown too familiar and lost its power. And sometimes it can appear like that in the church. The word of God can appear like that in the church. Now we get it week by week. We have it in our hands if we want to open it day by day. Always there. Sadly, at times, we may even regard it as ordinary, just there. And consequently, my friends, we lose the wonder of the Word of God. But Jeremiah doesn't see it that way. Jeremiah sees it as extraordinary. Ordinary? Extraordinary, the Word of God. It's astounding. And that's why I want to pick up in this passage... Because the thing about the word of God is it keeps coming. It's just in the face of indifference and hostility and shallowness. This word of God is unstoppable. It's just relentless. God will not let it go. He keeps his word coming. Why? Because he's a faithful God. And he's faithful to his people. It's incredibly impressive. So two things I just want to pick up today. One, this word is unstoppable. And yet into that, this word is vulnerable. It's unstoppable and it's vulnerable. So I just want to look at the first three verses here. And then a little bit more. But first three verses. Have a look there. The word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah, son of Ammon. And and then it came through the reign of Jehoiakim. And then through the, down to the fifth month of the 11th year of, Zech, of Zedekiah. What keeps coming? It's the word of the Lord that keeps coming. It's the, you look at it. What keeps coming? You might instantly think, oh, it's Jeremiah keeps coming. No, it's not. It's the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came and the word of the Lord keeps coming. Three different reigns, three different responses. And yet this word of God keeps coming. It's a word of judgment. 
It's a word to God's people. But the massive thing here is God never gives up. He never throws in the towel. Blow you lot. Had enough. He doesn't do that. It just keeps coming. Keeps speaking to his people. This, my friends, is the faithfulness of God. Just his faithfulness. Josiah's reign is one where he experienced a mini revival. That may surprise you, you see. But experienced a mini revival. And it all came about because the Old Testament law, the book of the law, had been found. Which means it had been lost. And they had gone gaily on, you know, without the book of the law. But when the book of the law is discovered, Josiah has it read to him. I mean, he is utterly convicted. The change is dramatic. He gets rid of idols. He gets rid of mediums and spiritists. He reinstituted worship in the temple and the Old Testament law. As real as, and as real as it was for so Josiah. Among the people, it appears it was very superficial. So hence in Jeremiah 3 verse 10, you get this, in spite of this, her faithful sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. My friends, listen, if, if the word of God, if the word of God is not real to you, the transforming word of God is not real to you, you'll end up going through the motions. It'll just be skin deep, looking authentic on the outside, nothing changing on the inside. I came across this article. I hope I brought that with me too. Um, I came across this article, which basically, at the end of it, it asked the question, am I a consumer or a contributor? And it was, um, it was a lead pastor who was given a sabbatical by his church. And he, in his sabbatical, visited 10 churches. And he was really looking forward to experiencing church as a punter. Excuse the term. But, um, you know, to someone new, he just wanted to know, what, how daunting is it for someone new to come through the doors? He wanted to experience that. i tell you what, it's, Ron's just been on sabbatical and he's experienced it. Uh, Des and I were on sabbatical, and we've experienced it. It's very, very interesting uh, what sort of welcome you receive at other places and all the rest of it. So I haven't got time to go into that. But he, he noticed that as he was going through this process, he realized that um, it was easy to slip into approaching church as a consumer. Not only was it damaging, he furthermore saw that it was a dominant feature in many churches. You have to realize I'm not pointing the finger at you. I'm just saying this is what, this is what he picks up. Let me give you a sample of his report. So he says, When I approach church as a consumer, I come to be satisfied. I am the center of the experience. My needs, expectations, preferences, tastes, hobby horses, and opinions become priorities. And so I am vocal about them. When I approach church in a Christ-like way, I come to bless, encourage, and spur others on. 
My priority is what Jesus desires. And so his command is to love others, therefore trumps my desires and needs. And I am vocal in expressing gratitude. Here's another point you raised. When I approach church as a consumer, I come as a critic. Assessing and judging the quality of the welcome, the music, the sermon, the coffee, and we'll fill in the gap. According to my preferences, when I approach church in a Christ-like way, I come to edify others. I look for the good in everything and everyone. I overlook imperfections, spur on those who are growing in their gifts, and treat issues of preference or disagreement with grace. I really like that. When I, here's another one. When I approach church as a consumer, I come to be served. I expect others to meet my needs. I expect the service or activities or pastor to tick all my boxes. If not, I may decide to complain to the management or to fellow consumers. When I approach church in a Christ-like way, I come to serve. I realize God has given me gifts to build others up. I consider it a privilege to use them. My focus is on blessing others by fulfilling the role he has given me within the body of Christ. Listen, that is just a taster. You've got a, I haven't got time to do all that. You've got a whole load of others. It's very, very insightful. It's really, really helpful. And um, you know, it made me think, I have to say. And my friends, we, we live in a consumerist culture. You have to understand that. We live in a consumerist culture. A consumer approach is, is all about me. It's inherently self-seeking. My, that is the problem with sin. It is self-seeking. Me, me, me. Everything orbiting around me. The gospel is this. I'm a new creation. Is that right? I'm a new creation. The gospel is I have a new life in Christ. The gospel is, I am forgiven by Jesus Christ. That is a wonder. The old is gone, the new has come. I have a new purpose in life. Look, I have to say, I was sick of me. I was sick of me. There must be an alternative to me. There must be. Why do you think I saw these people and I saw they have a, a love for Jesus Christ? I thought, what is that? These people are different. These people are different. That's what got me going. Do you know you can still do all the self stuff in a Christian context and thereby fool yourself? Or you can slip from the Lord bit by bit. Do you think Judah got to this place overnight? No. It took years and years and years and years. We can have slippage in our lives and become consumerists. Because that is what our culture is like. But just be aware of that. New life in Christ is self-giving. Considering others better than yourself. As Paul says, looking not only to my interest, but also to the interests of others. A consumer Christian is one who has lost the wonder of grace. And one to whom it has now become only skin deep. Josiah had a mini revival going on. But deep down, nothing has changed. They have all the identity markers of God's people. They just don't look like it. They look like everybody else. 
So God is speaking to his people. Mini revival, God keeps speaking. And then he gets the next line, God keeps speaking. And then there's the next rain, God keeps speaking and calling to his people. You know, you heard that from Tim this morning on that one from Jeremiah, call to me. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, my friends. So, the word of the Lord came. Let's have a look again. See, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. Here's here's what's coming. And through the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. See, the word of the Lord, it keeps coming. Wow, what a grace. God never throws in the towel. Never said, oh, I'm sick of you. He just keeps coming. I don't wonder of the kindness of God. Jehoiakim is different from Josiah. He is hostile. He is aggressive. In his reign, there's a prophet called Uriah. And he had to flee Egypt. And Jehoiakim sends in the bully boys to Egypt, pulls him out and terminates him. That's Jehoiakim. That's this reign. That the word of the Lord keeps coming. Being a person of the word of God is not a safe vocation. Look through church history. Persecution is not a rarity, my friends. You know, the very fact that you have a Bible in your hand, some would say is largely attributed to a man called William Tyndale. His consuming desire was that the scriptures would be available even to the common people of England, even to the plowboy. He wanted the scriptures available even to him. His consuming desire took him to the stake where he was burnt in 1536 because of his passion for God's word. Jehoiakim would sit, this king Jehoiakim would sit in his royal palace and uh, he'd have this word read and then he'd take a penknife out and he would cut the word into pieces And throw them in the fire. This man is hostile to the word of God. And still, the word of God keeps coming. Through Josiah's reign, through Jehoiakim's reign, the word of God keeps coming. Isn't it amazing that we have this word in our hands? Don't you think? think It's wonderful. God's word. Life-giving, breathing, the living God word in our hands. God will not give up on his people. The word, of the, the word of the Lord is a battlefield, my friends. Satan's first attack was on the word of God. Did God really say? Did God really say? You know, that's where it is. That's it. it starts right there. That you must not eat of the tree in the garden. Did God really say? Jesus understood this. Jesus understood the battlefield. He understood the authority of God's word. It is written, when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, his reply is again and again, it is written. It is written. He knows the word of God has authority. Jesus loved the word of God. I just want us as a people not to lose our passion for the word. And if we have, well, let's regain it because it's the living, life-giving, 
breathing word of God. Oh, hallelujah. Do you know this word of God will light a fire in you? It will light a fire in you. After the resurrection, two men are walking on the Emmaus Road. And Jesus joins them. They don't recognize him. I always find that amazing. I don't understand that bit. I mean, they don't recognize him until he breaks bread and disappears. I don't understand that either. You know, it's like, poof. I mean, well, how does it work? Or, or does he just, because, you know, does he just go? You know, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that. But they're talking about it afterwards. And they said, they asked one another, were not our hearts burning within us? burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. The word of God will light a fire in your heart, my friends. Don't miss out on it. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word, you know, so that you know these words, that comes from the mouth of God. You know, if you're without bread, you'll get hungry. But if you're without the word, you'll wilt and you'll shrink encourage you faith comes by hearing and hearing by what the word of God please don't miss the point of God's faithfulness in this never once does he throw in the towel never once does he say I've had enough he keeps coming and because behind this word is the authority and the way to the living God he's for his people not against him so this word is unstoppable Secondly, it's vulnerable. The word of the Lord came to me, and Jeremiah's response is, Well, about time to. Do you know what? Do you know, I wondered when you were going to recognize me. But he doesn't do that, does he? None of that at all. He goes, I don't know how to speak. I don't, I don't know how to speak. I'm, I'm only a child. And he was a youth. Without experience. And the culture of that day would be to listen to those who are older. Be interested to know what the culture of our day is. That's another word. Anyway, those who ex- got experience in life. Do you know, you have to ask, why does God make things so difficult for himself? Why does he do that? Why does he seem to sabotage his very intentions. You have to ask the question, you know. Okay, look, look, he chooses Abraham. And Abraham, he chooses a pagan. Starts with Abraham and chooses Abraham. Why does God do that? And what's more, he gives him this promise that um, all the nations will be blessed through him. And he's childless. It's like, I mean, that is vulnerable, isn't it? Putting the word of God into that, into that man. And then he chooses Jacob. He's not promising, I tell you. He has no problem. Jacob has no problem having children. He has a degree in deviancy. I mean, this guy, I tell you what, something else. Moses. Moses is a given up man. He's 80 year old failure in a desert herding sheep. Come on. I want you. I want you. How I mean, God does this. I mean, the word of God is vulnerable. Look at, look into whose hands He puts His word. It's astonishing. Samson, Gideon, David, David. When Samuel comes to, uh, comes to um, 
Jesse, David's dad, and says, oh, bring all your sons in front of me. He doesn't even bother with David. He doesn't even bother with David. He takes the fragile, time and again, the weak. This word is vulnerable. He would, it would appear he takes the disqualified. There's a man called Smith Wigglesworth. And he was an amazing man. He was an illiterate plumber, incapable of speaking in front of a crowd. And the Spirit of God took hold of this man. And many, 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 many people were saved through him. And many, 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 many people were astoundingly healed. Miracles through this man. His daughter, however, was never healed. Never healed. Smith Wigglesworth himself experienced illnesses, but was more than willing to leave room for mystery in God's, you know, in his theology. The word of God is unstoppable, and yet it's so vulnerable, isn't it? I remember as a young Christian, I went down to the south coast, and there was this speaker there. Um, some of you may have met him and know him, Ian Andrews. And Ian Andrews had a severe speech impediment. I just used to stammer. And um, I was sitting there, this is the first time, and he stammered through his message. I must admit, I, would, I, have to say, I was thinking, what, what, why have I come here, you know? And, it, and it, this message took ages because he stammered. And then he started, then he started having words of knowledge and insight into people's situations and circumstances are unbelievable. And I saw the healing power of God break out. God puts his word into vulnerable people. It's the vulnerability of his word. It's amazing. It's, a, it's unstoppable and it's vulnerable. It's extraordinary. You know, Jeremiah, you know, not come to Jeremiah because of his competence or qualifications. They're not the point. The point is this, God chose him. I don't know where you sit with all of this, my friends, but listen. That's exactly what he did with you. He chose you. It wasn't about your competence. It wasn't about your ability. He never asked for that. It's about the fact that he chose you. It all rests on him. I'm not excluding our efforts to strive after holiness. I'm not excluding that. But it all starts with him. He chose you. He chose me. I mean... Come on. This is not promising material. I don't mean to look at you like that, but I'm looking at myself like that. I'm thinking, why did you do that? You know, and for, it's not promising material. We are well aware of that. Broken, twisted, emotionally wrecked people, hardened, willful, sinful. What does the word of God say? It says this. And we know all things work together for good. For those who loved him... And are called according to his purpose. For, God, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son. Listen, hear that. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son. Those he foreknew. He didn't know about them. He knew them. It's an intimate knowing. Please, don't discount yourself. Don't discount yourself. Don't you write yourself off. Why do I say that? Because he hasn't. And he won't. 
the number of times I've heard people say, do you know, I could never be a Christian. The point being this, I'm not good enough. Don't you dare do that. If you're sitting here and you're thinking, I can never be a Christian. I can never be like these people. You know, da, 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 da. I, I've, heard the, I've heard the record many times. It's precisely for you he came. He came in our weakness. His power is made perfect in weakness. That's why we're here. A couple of things to end. I want to encourage you. You know, if you, we do dry up from time to time in the Word. I, I, I'm the same. I, <laughs> I, you know, I get out. Oh, where do I go next? You know, I, that happens to me too. Believe it, it does. There's this, um, there's this little booklet. I like it because it's little, and um, it's called Unbreakable by Andrew Wilson. Tried to get some copies. Normally it's two ninety nine. I tried to get some copies. This is sold out. It's now if you can you can get some from America, but it's twelve pounds. But I have managed through Jen. Is that right, Jen? To procure ten copies of this, and they'll be here next week. I wanted to get them this week, but they'll be here next week. But this is like gold dust. He's having they're having to have a reprint. But it is like gold dust. And it's so helpful because it's all about the word of God. And it would encourage you in the word of God. My friends, look, two ninety nine bargain. Absolutely. So this, let me say this to you. It's really helpful. Study the word. Study the word. Let, and let the word study you. Probe the word and let it probe you. You know, digest, chew, eat the word. If you snack... It never really gets, you know, it, it just, it's not, you're meant to have a meal. So I want to encourage you, get into the Word of God, think about it, chew on it. You, you were meant to digest it, get it in you. Why? Because all the promises of God are yes and amen. And we need to know what our God is like and we need to know where we stand with him. Get the Word of God into you, my friends. Study it, chew on it. Go on a Freedom in Christ course when they're coming up in, in September. You will get the word of God in a Go on a Freedom in Christ course. Stuart Reed's doing Digging Deeper in Philippians. Get on a Philippians course and get the word of God in you and chew on it and, and be offended by it. Because some of it offends us. But let it, let's have it roar. But let's get it in us. Am I making my point? And, uh, and if you're... If you're trying to find your way into how do I know about Christianity and all the rest of it, Alpha is a brilliant course. And that will help you understand where Christians are coming from and, and where this word is and the importance of this word and, the, and the, the flawlessness of the word of God. God's word is unstoppable. God's word is vulnerable. We wouldn't be here otherwise. For those he foreknew, he also predestined what? To be conformed to the likeness of his son. Hallelujah. The word of God keeps coming. It's unstoppable. And the word of God is vulnerable. But it's the word of God.